Welcome to Adaptify. I'm Mike, I'm a paraplegic from New Zealand, and it's my mission to find the Adaptifiers of the world. People who have overcome challenges and found new, creative, interesting ways to be free despite needing to use a wheelchair for their mobility. Hey everyone, welcome back. It's Mike here. First of all, thank you for tuning in and listening to this podcast. I really appreciate that there are people out there that share our mission to increase freedom for wheelchair users and that this content is valuable to those listening. Before I introduce today's guest, here's a shameless plug for our product called the Lap Stacker. It's the world's first retractable strap system for wheelchairs. Now picture this, you've got a huge pile of washing you've just brought in from the line or you've taken out of the dryer. Now it's a big pile, you're struggling to hold on to it while pushing your wheelchair at the same time. Maybe a few items drop off your lap or maybe the whole lot comes off. You run over it, maybe you fall out of your wheelchair. Either way, it's so frustrating that you can't hang on to this and push at the same time. Well, no more. The lap stacker secures this to your lap. It secures to any manual wheelchair really simply. Go to adaptify.com and check it out. Today's guest is from the UK. His name is Alex Kroll. Alex is a paraplegic. Over 20 years ago, he was hit by a motorcycle. Alex has led an extraordinary life. He is an accomplished wheelchair tennis player, an accomplished sit skier. He also knows how to fly planes. He's a pilot. He was a part of the Handy Flight Round the World trip that uh, flew a plane around the globe. I met him when he was down here in New Zealand. Uh, an amazing guy. He's got a great balance in his life, a successful family and career. Alex, welcome to the show. It's so good to have you on. Cheers, Mike. Nice to see you too. Yeah, likewise. Likewise. Uh, we met briefly in New Zealand when you were uh, when you were flying down here on this uh, kind of amazing uh, round-the-world trip that you you came and did a, a few legs here in New Zealand. Um, and uh, and I, was, I was super impressed with... Uh, you know, with your attitude and with how you could, uh, well, how you could fly a plane. We'll talk a bit more about that, but um, but also just your sort of go get them attitude, despite uh, despite having a, a fairly um, a high spinal cord injury. Um, and I was really fascinated to hear about what you'd have achieved in your life. Um, so I'm I'm really keen to sort of dive into that and uh, and understand um, understand you as a person and your mindset and some of the things that have helped you along the way. But uh, to start off with, um, I'm keen to understand a bit about your, you know, your childhood and your background before your accident, um, just to get a handle on, you know, and some context around who you are as a person and and how uh, traumatic an event this uh, this actually was for you. Okay, Mike. So um, I'm one of three boys. So uh, I was the youngest in the family, and we lived in Aintree uh, in Liverpool. So uh, my dad was a builder. And my mum was one of those mums that had every job under the sun. She was constantly job to job, but obviously running the family at the same time. And it was just a normal childhood, to be honest. You know, I was a little bit in trouble. Um, I think you call it ADHD now, but back then, I think you were just a naughty boy. And if you went wrong, you got a bit of a belt or a bit of a smack. But I was just, I was just highly strung, you know what I mean? I just... Uh, uh, I, I was quite active and I, I just needed focus or some type of determination in my life. So um, I, when, I reached, when I was a teenager, 
this is all before my accident. So uh, I was I was in scouts, I was in the cadets, and um, I wasn't the brightest of lads. Uh, you know, I tried, but I don't think school was for me really. And so, as I got to 15, 16, I was unsure where I was going in my life. And uh, I think I had this plan to, to be a fireman. So I started speaking to all these firemen. And he started telling me that they were also Royal Marines. And I was getting really confused. I was like, now if you're Royal Marine, you're somewhere else doing something. He said, oh, no, no. He said, you can join the reserves and you can, you can be a fireman as a proper job. And then you can have this part-time job. And I said, oh, that, that sounds really good. So then I applied for that, and the fitness was was great. I just loved it, and you know I wasn't the strongest, wasn't the fittest at the beginning. You know there was fifty nine of us on parade the first day one week one, and eighteen months later, you know I'm proud to say that was one of nine nine that passed out and got the green beret. So yeah, that's. That's um, I don't know whether you want to delve more into my childhood, but that's a shortened story of how it got to me in my 20s. Yeah, so it sounds to me as though, you know, your physical activity and the physical aspect of your life was something that helped you maintain focus and it kind of almost kept you out of trouble because you had this vehicle to um, basically channel your energy into. And, and I can relate to that. I'm, I'm someone very similar that... Um, you know, in the early days of my life, um, just had an abundance of energy that needed needed some way to focus that. And, and so the physical element, uh, you know, activity outside and exercise was something that probably kept me out of kept me out of uh, worse trouble than I already got into. It sounds like that was quite similar for you. Yeah, yeah, that, that was my thing. It was, you know, I just loved doing everything, you know, I did circuit training, a lot of running. And actually, a week before my accident, uh, I did the Barcelona marathon. So I had this idea: I'd go out to Barcelona and I'd, I'd run this marathon. So I told my mates that I wanted to do it, and uh, I was hoping they would say, "Yeah, yeah, I'd, I'd do it with you." But they just wanted a lads' holiday. And I was like, "Oh, it, it's not." Gonna, and I said, "No, no, it's, it's not going to be a lads' holiday." And they went, "Yeah, we'll see." So uh, they all came with me. So there's six of us. And we're going out and they're like, there's no way you're doing that marathon tomorrow. They're like, no, I am. I'm going to do it. So I got up next month. I, I didn't drink, you know what I mean? I, I was there to do it. Got up, boxed off the marathon, got home, at the medal, and then, then they all started getting up. And they were like, no way, you did it? I was like, yeah, busted. And I, that was the, me, me last final physical encounter before uh, the week later, you know, uh, at my accident. And I, just lying there, just, and I just couldn't believe it. I was devastated. Well, yeah, I, <laughs> I remember my last last day standing. And um, so I can I can relate to that feeling of lying there and just just being in disbelief uh, to in the position that I, I now face myself. So tell us a little bit about your situation. Yeah, yeah. So um, Barcelona Marathon, that was done. And then the week later, I was spending the weekend with my brother, uh, Pete. So Pete's a pilot in the RAF, and he was over in Anglesey in Wales. And uh, I went over for the weekend, and we, we were going to be kite surfing, something new to do, something new to try. And uh, the weather just wasn't, wasn't, wasn't up for it. So Pete wanted to buy a motorbike at the time. So we went along to this motorbike shop and he's looking at the biggest, fastest, most ridiculous bike you've ever seen. <laughs> so 
So uh, when I was on it, Pete went first. He's really given it some. And then it was my turn to have a go. And I had a bike license, but I wasn't, I wasn't a big mad fast bike. I was quite cautious, quite, quite defensive. As we turn this corner and the cars are parked for about, about two miles. We're just in this queue and we're waiting. And we waited a little bit, bit more. And then I decided to try and get to the front of the queue. So I got, I got to the front. Just as I got to the front, the car turned out. He didn't lock. I went straight into it, slammed into the uh, into the car, and it was that great big menace. That beast of a bike came up and just broke me back in two. And I remember I was lying on the floor. And I couldn't feel anything. I, I you know reached down, couldn't feel my legs, couldn't feel my stomach, and just looked up. And all these firemen were, were by my side at this time. And uh, I tried to make a joke of it. I, you know, I was looking at this really fat, overweight fireman near retirement. And I was like, you're, you're not a fireman. And uh, his mate started laughing and I was trying to humor my way out of this uh, really ser- serious scenario. And the guy just looked at me and said, listen, he said, you're in a really bad way. Don't move. Uh, and then that was it. I, I couldn't remember. I just went off into hospital. And then that that was me um, in the spinal unit. Nothing else was broken, just me, me back, uh, T4 complete. Um, uh, legs were fine, arms were fine. Nothing else, you know, the doctors just went, you, you've really broken your back. And uh, my spinal cord, it, it was severed. Um, it, it, he said, there's no, he, he said, you can lie there for six weeks, but he said, I really don't think anything's going to come back. And it was um, from day one, week one. That was it, you know. Mate, it sounds like there's some similarities uh, between our accidents. I feel for you there, you know, just super unexpected event. Uh, mm. You know, you just couldn't see that coming. And um, and just the, just the sheer shock. I mean, look, if you're, you know, doing an extreme sport or something, you, you always have in the back of your mind that something like that might happen. But, you know, just riding a motorcycle, you know, um, you know, didn't expect that to happen. You went around a racetrack, you weren't doing anything like that. So, man, that's that's a huge shock, isn't it? Um, it's, uh, in hindsight now, looking back, and it, there's, there's no protection as that if, if you do come off your bike, you know, you've got your levers, you've got your helmet, but... There's so many things that you can, um, your spine can just knock into. So hindsight's a beautiful thing, but, you know, we, we were both grown adults. Uh, you know, we, we knew the risks. Uh, we took the risks on the day mm. and it didn't pay off. Um, and it's, um, it's weird. It, it, it's just, everyone's got a story, Mike, haven't they? You know, everyone we, we speak to and we meet, you know, we, we have got, you speak to guys who jump into swim pools and uh, everyone's just got a shocking story. Tell us about the first things that were sort of running through your mind. What was the, what were some of the fears that you had? So, yeah, I was 22 years old. I was quite young. Um, I had no career. Uh, I, I had a feeling of lost identity. Uh, I started thinking, uh, am I going to be able to have a relationship uh, with someone? Um, are girls going to fancy me? 
you know, these are the things that you're mm-hmm. thinking of. And then uh, you just, you, your mind's going into overdrive. You, you, just, you just don't know what the future is going to be like. So it's all, it's all an uncertainty. The only certainty there is that my back was broken and there was no way it was, it was going to get better, which mm-hmm. the doctor lays out. And then fundamentally, at some point, I needed to come to terms with my situation and then try and move forward. Uh, but yeah, my mind was going nuts. Yeah, I know that I can relate to that too. The, the, just the constant revolutions that are going through your mind and this it's it's really hard to get away from it hey eh? it's hard to it's hard to um yeah it's it's very difficult to stop the negative cycle of thought you know and and you might have you might have a thought a positive thought then a negative thought then a positive thought it's just it's just this whirlwind of mind um it's just it, it's it's an it's like being in a it's like being in a tornado just going round and round and round and round and round and yeah. um but sooner or later you kind of get spat out the side and and things slow down a okay. bit and you start to realize the gravity of your situation and then and then you put a bit of a plan in place and 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 you you start accepting and and sort of moving on when was when was one of the moments that you first I guess made peace with that and and how um what what sort of things were you thinking you might like to try or do in your life yeah so i'm I'm gonna echo your point that you said there so yeah your mind's going into overdrive and one of the worst feelings for me is that the the whole family unit was was breaking down in front of me and there wasn't a great deal i could do i i felt like i was the cause or the um um the antagonizer for the situation. So in order to change that situation, I needed to acknowledge that something had to change. So obviously in hospital and rehab and stuff like that, I was in a good place. I was uh, mentally, I was I, I was doing well. You know, I was getting to rehab and I was, I was really getting into it. And in the back of my mind, I always knew I'd be all right. You know, I think... Um, I'm not a believer in faith. I, I was, you know, never destined to become wheelchair Al. But uh, I think that the training in the Marines and stuff like that, I just think I can do this. You know, I'm young enough. I'm, I'm fit enough. I, I can crack on and do it. So I was getting down to the gym, doing loads of uh, uh, occupational therapy. And one of my first hurdles was actually um, the, the spinal psychologist. So I had... I had a meeting where the hospital wanted me to go home. So I've been in hospital for six months. And my dad was a builder, so he built me a wet room and a ramp. Uh, I could go home and stuff like that. And I, we had this case management meeting where 20 people are all sitting around and I'm sitting there with my mum and dad. And we go around the room. So you've got the hospital management. Yeah, yeah, he's fine. Let him go. Uh, we want the bed. Uh, doctor, yeah, he's not going to improve. Let him go. We want the bed. Uh, physio, yeah, he, he can transfer 38 mats all at once. Never in my spinal life have I seen 38 mats and thought I can transfer from the floor up to there should the situation arise. Yeah, let him go. Uh, occupational therapy, yeah, he can get in and out of bathrooms. I've been to his house, his dad's a builder, let him go. I got to the psychologist. Clive, 
So uh, he said, um, I don't think we should let him go. And they all looked at him and they're like, why not? And he's like, he, he's dealing with it too well. He's, the, you know, he's, he's, you know, he hasn't come to terms with a situation. And whether, whether you come to terms with it within the hospital environment or at home, it, it needs to be done at some point. And I did, I, I got home and then I think mentally, I think then I started breaking down and the whole, the whole world just fell apart. Because in hospital, you're free to move where you like. You can go and make a bit of toast. You can go and play pool. You can go to the gym. You can do whatever you like. You get home to your mum and dad's and you're at your mum and dad's and you're like, this is horrendous. You know, I don't want to be here. And no offence to them. But uh, I had a bed set up in the corner of the room and I just had this, this curtain that I'd pull across once my day was done. And, um, you know, I was 22 in, in the corner of a room just like this is rubbish uh, but it's and then and then I found that really hard but when it started picking up again it was when it started uh, you know got me car got me hand controls on the car and I could get to the gym and, and then that gave me my freedom and um, so yeah it was like a cycle <clears throat> did well in hospital got home went down started getting me car my freedom <clears throat> so yeah yeah that was one of the turning points in my life isn't it amazing that uh, the psychologist there um, could actually see that you were you hadn't quite come to terms with it yet? Isn't isn't that a it's a really interesting insight? Because I'd probably be like you. I'd have gone whatever, mate. I'm fine. Let me out. I'm ready to go. I'm ready to go. But um, uh, it's so true that once you once you leave that kind of protective nest of rehab or hospital, if you're lucky enough to to be in a good hospital and a good rehab centre, then you into the real world that's that's another it's just another step of the journey isn't it it's another phase of uh yeah you know of of recovery in a lot of ways um was there any people that you could look up to as sort of mentors and um if so uh, feel free to name them um and if not when was your first um you know sort of encounter with someone who you thought ah wow if they can do that uh, maybe I can too so yeah, uh, we've got we've got the backup trust over this way, and uh, you guys have got it too. <clears throat> That's right, isn't it? We've got the New Zealand Spinal Trust is the <clears throat> is the equivalent. Yeah. Okay. Uh, so <clears throat> they were amazing in my recovery. So in the early days, um, my first experience is that I went sit skiing out in America back up and uh, you were meant to be <clears throat> you were meant to be a year post injury and I think I was like 10 11 months but I managed to convince them I was like no no I'm fine I do come on let, let me do it I'll be all right so we got there and there was 10 of us away sit skiing and also those 10 seven of us were motorbike accidents so any boys wow. and girls listening any boys and girls listening out there do, do not jump on motorbikes there's there's different ways to hurt yourself Trust me. So we're, we're all we're all sit skiing, and it wasn't. Um, we were all very similar, you know what I mean. So there wasn't there wasn't a figure or a mentor who'd been in a chair for ten years. We were all brand new to it, and there was just something quite comforting and quite warm to know that we were all 
on this very similar journey all together, all learning new things together. And it, that was, it, it was an eye-opening experience and it was, it just, it just set me on the right path. You know what I mean? I was like, wow. And it, this whole skiing thing, I just thought, wow, this is amazing. I've never skied before my accident, but it, it, it was just, with my level injury, it, it was really hard work, but once it clicked, just clicked and I'd, by the end of the week I was skiing down with my mates and you know it was just it was a really good stage in my life and in, in my recovery Ah uh, man you love skiing on a sit ski it is uh, I mean it's hard and it's really physical on your body you know yeah. the first couple of days of the season you feel completely destroyed you know <laughs> I can, can barely use your arms again if you go if you go hard and um but it is, isn't it? A, isn't it a great feeling? And I had no idea. I had no idea that it even existed before breaking my back. It was so many things. I just, I, I'd never seen a sit ski, a mono ski before. Um, I, I had, I had no idea. Um, so it's quite amazing that you can find things like that. Uh, I guess one of the barriers with with a lot of these sports is the cost of equipment, and um, you know. Uh, that's, that's probably one of the biggest barriers. I, I suppose also the the time and energy that it takes to actually learn them. Um, but the benefits, wouldn't you agree, are, are, are well worth uh, finding a way to do those things. If It, it you know. is, yeah. I mean, uh, I had my accident back in 2005. And back then it was all about like self-discovery. So jump on the internet, try and see what people are doing. But I think if you get injured now, you know, disabilities and spinal injuries and disabilities that they couldn't be any more um, in front of the media and the current so you got you know the Invictus Games you've got the Paralympic Games and the coverage some of the coverage that you've got in these things you don't need to go far to say right that guy's hand cycling that guy's sit skiing mm-hmm. this guy's doing a bungee jump with somehow in his wheelchair so I think I think Back in my day, 2005, I think you had to go out and try and seek, try and seek and find these things. But I think now, you know, there's a lot of things going on. And say, if you wanted to go sit skiing to America or France, there's a lot of these sit skis already there waiting for you, ready to go. So a lot of things are becoming a lot more accessible, which is great, great to hear and see. So you don't necessarily need to buy these things. Uh, they are expensive. Uh, I would highly recommend it. Should you, should you, should you get the chance? But you know what? Just do a bit of homework and go and rent some things. You'll love it. Yeah, totally. Hey, you tell us a little bit about uh, your career and how did that transpire? You said you were worried about your career. You didn't have a career. Um, what uh, what steps did you take towards that in your life? So yeah. The, uh, at the accident at 22 and essentially I, you know, I passed out as a Marine and just before my accident, I was about to sign a contract with them. I was called for four years. And, was, um, and obviously that fell through and that was me done, you know, and then what do we go on and do after that? So I spent the next next couple of years trying to find yourself, don't you? So you, I went to New Zealand, traveling around, then went to Australia um, it's just full of beaches that you can't actually get on with a wheelchair. Uh, good fun now, but 
I found I found a couple of jobs. So um, I became a wheelchair skills trainer uh, for backup, which was quite nice. And then I could pass on a bit of knowledge and I get to work with kids and um, mums and dads uh, who were looking after, uh, obviously, kids in wheelchairs. So that was my job uh, for a while. And then I worked with whiz kids. Uh, so again, on the wheelchair skills training uh, type of thing. So yeah, and now now uh, I go into schools and I tell schools about me, my story uh, of how I ended up in a chair and trying trying to see if the kids can be become more resilient because um, they, mm. they need a bit of that in life. So yeah, that, it, it, it's quite weird, you know. I haven't had I haven't had a proper uh, boring job. But I've had life lifestyle opportunities, I call it, which is quite nice. But um, yeah, cool. I, I'm, quite, I'm quite fortunate in that respects. I love that you're bringing awareness to schools and children. Whenever I get the opportunity, I I jump out of my wheelchair, uh, you know, and give my, you know my son's friends, for example, a go in the wheelchair. I was at this dance party the other night, and I I jumped out of my chair and and uh, let some people have a dance in the chair, um, just to normalise it, just to experience it, just to understand that it's. It's not a barrier. It's actually a really cool piece of equipment that um, that is an enabler. Um, yeah. And uh, so, yeah, the more the more that we collectively as a group can do in that front, the, the better it is. Uh, the more awareness there'll be for access and inclusion. So, uh, yeah, well done, man. It's that's fantastic. Cheers. Well, I, what I do with my little lads, so uh, Xander, he, he's just started school and he's round the corner. But I've got a little whizzy wheel, uh, a little bolt-on thing so I'd take him to school on that each morning and um, he's proud as punch you know what I mean he, he, he will know no difference like dad's just always been in a chair and that's how it is mm. I've got this little busy wheel and it is fast I mean it does like 23 miles an hour but you know I, I wouldn't do that with him uh, but it, it, it's a cool thing you know we, we, we I go which round drop him off and uh, the other boys and girls are like, wow, that's quite awesome. It's like, yeah, cheers. I know that. Yeah, I know that feeling well. It's um, it's great to see your son proud of proud of their dad, and because uh, it could be quite easy to just kind of shy away from your situation and and not be visible publicly. And um, but to have your have your son proud of you, and actually, you know, you have this technology that's actually kind of cool i've got this electric trike and as a kid man that would have been the if my dad had had one of those it would have been the coolest thing ever and so it's nice to see it's really nice to see that we've you know we can um we can still be good dads you know that was yeah. one of the one of the fears i had was how am i gonna how am i gonna be a good dad if i'm a wheelchair user um and there's lots of there's still lots of things i I wish I could do, but equally, you know, there's lots of things you can. And just like, you know, getting this adaption, this whizzy wheel for the front of your chair, you're showing that, well, actually I can still take you to school and walk you to school and, and do things. And I think it's really important. Tell us yeah. about um, finding, finding love and, and dating and marriage and fatherhood. What, what a ride that must've been. Tell, tell us a little bit, a bit about that. So yeah, it, it, it's a it's a bit of a love story, really. A classic um, boy meets girl when the teenagers in, in the cadets, and um, so yeah, I met Jane, Jane back then, and um, so yeah, we were friends, and then 
Uh, we started dating a little bit when we were 18. I wanted to join the Marines. She wanted to go to Cambridge and be dead clever and brainy. Um, so, yeah, you know, like it was moving on a bit. And then I think I called it and said, I, you know, I can't do this, you know. So, so that's when we had our first argument. Uh, so, yeah, she went off to uni. I, I did the Marines thing. Um, yeah, and then... She was always in the back in the background as, as I had my injury, so I got a lot of like, love and support off her. But at the time of my injury, I was seeing someone else, uh, which wasn't you know I've moved on a bit, and that fizzled out. <laughs> but uh, yeah, you, you, you're going to get me in trouble here. But uh, so yeah, I, I always had this connection, obviously uh, with Jane and stuff like that, and uh, we finally got together. And uh, the whole the whole kids thing wasn't wasn't that big of an issue, you know. We we the, the doctors said, listen, you, the, once they release me from hospital, you know, you, you're gonna you're gonna be okay. You can self care for yourself if you want babies. We'll make it happen. Uh, so I, I had to go down the IVF route, and we we were really lucky, uh, you know. We it worked first time uh, with our little our little boy. And um, we, we we did try for one more, but the odds just weren't all odds weren't with us. Um, but yeah, you know that was one of my main concerns. When when twenty two years old and you're lying there and you're in bed and you're like, "Am I going to be able to be a dad?" Uh, well, yeah, it, it, it is quite nice. But from a man from a, a male side of things, yeah, uh, very much so. Hey, what were some of the I guess, what were some of the, I guess, fears or uncertainties that you had about, um, you know, about this this relationship and the impact, particularly of your accident on the relationship, and you know, how did you how did you get past any of those fears? Good question. Uh, so. so- I don't you know, know, I think sexual functions a huge thing for people with spinal cord injury. Yeah. Um, you know, bowel and bladder, uh, extra costs, extra equipment, extra time it takes, all these all these realities of our life. Um, and then you're you're bringing someone else into this, you know, and, and there's no there's no way of sort of really escaping that reality. How how did you how does it work for you? How does it work for you guys? Do you talk okay. about it openly? Uh, no, we just we just crack on and do it. So, so lucky enough, I've chose someone who knew me before my accident. So, if I've got any questions to whether you know, do they really want to be? Well, yeah, they do want to be with me because they, they liked me back then, mm. and they still like me now. So, and then all these other little bits that uh, you mentioned, say like uh, the toilet routine and stuff like that. It's just logistics, you know. It's just, it's just knowing, um, you know. I need, I need to go to the toilet and do this. I will be sometime. Um, we don't mm. really talk about. It. I, I just, I just go and do it. So, and it's all about being conscious of other people's needs and stuff like that. So, if it's a bit inconvenient to go in the morning, then I'll, I'll, I'll try and go at a better time and nice and stuff like that. Mm. And then the whole relationship type thing, you know, we, uh, we just get on and, um, the, the sexual side of things, you know, 
it's fine. It's fine. It works out great. You know, the, I, I was really worried when I was 22. And I'm not worried about it at all now. It's, it's good. Yeah, you find ways. I try and... Uh, on the, on the sort of toileting routine thing, I, I try and kind of, I try and be discreet as in I don't have boxes of catheters lying around and I, I just kind of kind of just try and manage it so that it's not a big deal. You know, it's just, mm. it's actually just kind of something, like you say, something you do on your own um, and and it's it's actually not that big a deal. And if if you know if I have a bladder infection or something like that, well, you just say, yeah, I've got a I've got a UTI and just you know deal with that. And it's it's one of those things. I don't think it's something to be afraid of. Eh? It's it's no no. It's it only becomes complicated when when you go away on holiday and things change and things aren't right and you share you share in the room you share in the bathroom mm-hmm. uh, and then that's when you need to be a bit more considerate. So there might be a certain time in the day uh, which is mutual for both of you you know you you stay by the pool i'll i'll go upstairs for a bit uh, i'll see you a bit later um mm. as easy as that you know don't and i would say being the spinal injury person you, you you've got to be conscious of who you're living with you know and stuff and, and make allowances that you know don't be pig-headed and arrogant and think right i'm, I'm going to go and do that because because i can and i, I want to you know that's not going to get you anywhere. So it's just it's just thinking thinking a bit more than what what you normally would. So you mean you're you're conscious of the consequences of of a of an action and and the impact that will have on on others. So you know not not pushing the boat too far out that it, you know okay it may impact your health, but what impact is it going to have on the people around you too? Right, you've got to be considerate yeah. of that. Is that what you mean? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's what I mean. So. You know, we all know that we've got our needs and most of the time our needs come first. But all I'm saying is if if you go away on holiday or either your routine at home, it's just about being a bit conscious of everyone else. And, you know, um, mm. it's just an awareness, you know, don't, don't take it upon yourself that, you know, uh, you're the most important thing in the world because you're not, you know. Mm. That's really interesting. I think uh, there's quite a bit of tension in relationships when uh, someone that's suffered trauma or has has a new new accident <clears throat> um, becomes a centre of focus and can also vent their frustration and anger on those around them. And uh, you know, you you see this. You can see this quite clearly uh, for for people around you, but they they can't often see it themselves. Um, what what advice would you have for someone to actually just be aware of the way they're you know treating those that love them the most um, in in a, in a poor way? How do you recognise that if you're kind of right in the middle of that of that moment? You know, you might be you might be really upset, unhappy, frustrated, you know, angry, you know, bitter. You know, how do you how do you know whether or not you're impacting someone around you in a negative way, and and what steps should you take to um, to move beyond that? It's hard, isn't it? I've 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 seen it. You know what I mean. And in hospital, you, you see relationships break down all the time, and whether 
some people were idiots before the accident. You know, they're going to be idiots after the accident. But I think there's there's got to be there's got to be some form of acceptance. You know what I mean? I think acceptance for your situation, your spinal injury. I think um, once there's once there is self acceptance, I think then you can, you can you can try and look after yourself. You can try and love yourself. And I think once once you're in order, both mentally and physically, then 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 you can work on your relationships. But I think if you yeah. if people are struggling, I think they, they they need to acknowledge it and they they need to let other people know that they're struggling. And maybe they need time, space, a different room. Uh, they need something, something to cope. Uh, they need mm. to try and figure out what coping mechanisms are going to be good. You know, you got healthy ones, unhealthy ones. Uh, but I think um, it's up to the the, the 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 guy with the injury to acknowledge that something's not right. Yeah, it sort of starts there, doesn't it? Mm. I uh, the other day I had my first hit at wheelchair tennis. And, uh, <laughs> mate, I felt so good. I'd, I'd actually been feeling pretty low uh, in recent times around a number of different things, just just pressure with family life, pressure with business life. Um, and then also, like you say, just the COVID, the global situation, just lots of sort of lots of anxiety building up from lots of different areas. And, um, and I just kind of felt a bit stuck. So... Um, my son had started playing tennis, had some tennis lessons, and uh, and so I would go down to the court. And I found out that some of the local wheelchair tennis guys uh, here in New Zealand uh, were doing a demonstration. And uh, so I went down and and I had a hit. And man, it was fun. I had I just had I had such a good time, and it kind of brought me out of my funk. It took it took me into a. a a new experience in a, in a different place and um, and a different circle of friends, um, which is, I think, something worth acknowledging. Um, you know, like after your accident, you have you have your friends and, and the experience that you had with, with them is, is likely to be different after your accident. And uh, I was sitting in the sauna the other day and I heard some young people over, you know, talking about mountaineering. And I used to be a mountaineer. I used to do a lot of mountaineering all around the world. And, and I heard them talking about this, the shared experience they had together. And I realized that I'd been sort of grasping on to these old friendships that I had, these sort of old friendships with a shared experience in the mountains or mountain biking or surfing. And I realized that I was actually lacking, I was lacking this connection with a group of people that we had this kind of shared the shared experience. And uh, so I sort of made it at that moment. I said, I'm going to find another group of people to go and enjoy, you know, not just my business partners or um, my family, but an, another group that I can feel the sort of bond, the shared experience with. And um, yeah, wheelchair tennis is the first step in, in, towards that, I think. Uh, and it was, it was really, it was really, really good. Um, so I know it's maybe slightly off off what we were talking about about anger and and treating people around you, but I think if you are in a spot where you kind of feel stuck or you don't know what to do, my advice would be to try something new, F- find a find a something something else that ignites some sort of a 
joy in your life. And from that, you'll meet, uh, you'll meet new people that give you energy. So come on, Mike, uh, how good were you at your very first tennis session? You awesome? <laughs> I was rubbish. <laughs> well, no, Actually, you're, you're, you're going to be one of those really annoying people to turn on and go, I haven't done this before. Doosh, doosh, doosh. Uh, it'd be awesome. Well, I'll admit I did play tennis as a teenager, so I know I know the game and I know the the basics uh, of of the game. I went out and I felt really uncomfortable in the wheelchair tennis chair. It was yeah. strange to me, and I was trying to hit the ball straight on, you know. And uh, this guy, this uh, this coach, said to me, "No, no, you've got to be basically parallel or slightly." you know, on a 45 to the baseline and then hit yeah. four and back that way. And as soon as I did that, wow, mm. it was like, oh, yes. You know, it was like, yeah. yeah, okay, I can see the potential here. And uh, No, it's, it, it's good. I, I, I couldn't recommend wheelchair tennis anymore. It just, my first experience was um, there was a legend that lived over this way, uh, Vincenzo, um, and he, he would come in, he he was about 60, a little Sri Lankan guy, and he had come into Southport's hospital and on Thursday night to get the chairs out. And it, it, he was he was one of you know the first guys I ever saw who lived normally, lived by himself and stuff like that. We started playing tennis and I just loved it. I, do, I just uh, I, I enjoyed the sport. I enjoyed it was uh, it was fast, it was you can play doubles, you play by yourself, you can play normal people on the other side of the net. So this guy, Vince, he's like, I want to take you away. We're going to go to Belfast and there's a tournament over there. And where we stay in the, where we stay in the hotel, there's two nightclubs underneath. So tennis for him was all about the social. So he's like, we'll do a little bit of tennis and then we'll just party all night long. My first wheelchair tennis tournament, tournament was just a blur. It was just... But it, the, the community and the type of people that play, the, it's just brilliant. You, you know, in, in no other uh, wheelchair sports will you meet a varied, most, you know, energetic bunch of people. Uh, and I, and I, lo- I love it to this day. It's, it's, me, um, it's me go-to sport. Uh, so I'm, I'm glad. I'm glad that you've, you've, you've found a little bug for it. And it's quite funny. Um, my my son started playing, so he's four years old. So I've got him into a tennis lesson, and um, we went to the club. Uh, so I I wheel up and then let him go, and he's playing. And then the club secretary is coming over, and it's like, oh, um, you know, uh, you could you could play wheelchair tennis. You know, it was like, oh yeah, yeah, I could do, couldn't I? And I, I've done really well at tennis. I've got two gold medals. I'm like, not Paralympics Invictus Games. And it's like, oh, you know, you, you might be all right today. You, you know, you, just come along, have a little hit. And then I, I didn't have, I didn't have the balls to tell them that I already play. <laughs> uh, so, so yeah, I'm, I'm living them. this, I'm living this lie at the moment. So I keep going to this club and uh, not acknowledging <laughs> that I do actually play tennis. So I think you can put a little fire. wager. You can put a little <laughs> wager, mate. Make some, make. <laughs> you'd be a gambling yeah. man. You could, uh, you come out well. I, I could do that thing that you've done and turn off my first session and just be awesome. <laughs> but, uh, but I love tennis. I'll keep playing it. I'll keep playing it until Vincenzo's age, which was 65. And uh, I hope to do what he did one day. I, 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 I need to get people into the sport because I think you, you, have, you have your injury 
and it, you need to find what sport fits you. Uh, and tennis, tennis fitted me. Uh, unfortunately, I was, I was never going to be Paralympic because I think we all know that you need a good disability to to do well at sports. Uh, but I still loved it, and I just wanted to play it. So, mm. uh, yeah. Hey, tell us a little bit about that. You need need to have a good disability for people that are listening. What what does that sort of mean? And people are thinking, what? Oh, what are you talking about? Yeah, it, it's horrible to say, but in order the, in order to to get to the Paralympics and be really good, you need a good disability. Now, I don't have a good disability for tennis. I'm T4 complete. I've got no balance, no no core, no abs. And the guys I'm playing with in the open category. You know, they could have a lot more function than me. And there's no handicap for that. I've just got to play at their level and see how I get on. Um, mm. So you, 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 you've got to look at your different sports and you've got to see who's in the top 20 and what injuries or disabilities they've got. But fundamentally, you'll fall into whatever sport you love. You know what I mean? You're not going to, you're not going to try doing a sport that you don't like and try and be really good at a sport you don't like it. It's just not going to happen. But mm. you need to just try everything, try everything, and then just, just try and establish uh, two or three sports that you think, right, I'd, I'd like to have a crack at this. So, I mean, it's fairly easy, I imagine, just to go online and type in wheelchair tennis lessons or wheelchair tennis club or or something in your local area to find some people, or you could reach out to the backup trust and find some information or the New Zealand Spinal Trust or the equivalent in, in your country. What, uh, what other advice would you have to, to get started in, in, you know, wheelchair sport in general? It's like you said, knocking on the door, uh, trying to find information, trying to speak to people. So just message people direct and say, you know, if you've seen a really nice picture of them on, on Facebook or whatever, just say, I like what you're doing. Can you can you point me in the right direction? Mm, so uh, it's uh, information's everywhere, isn't it? And if you can if you can try and physically go along somewhere and meet someone and make a connection, and uh, this, I think most people are quite helpful. You know what I mean? They they, they will have time for you. Uh, so yeah, lucky enough with tennis, um, tennis chairs are freely accessible uh, in a lot of centres. So. Uh, the whole getting in a chair type thing isn't really an issue. So, yeah, I'd say just start looking around and try everything. Yeah, nice. Nice. I never thought to just message someone directly, but, yeah, you, you could. And, and for the most part, they'll be stoked that you're passionate about giving their sport uh, a try and they'll, they'll put you in the right what, direction. What's the worst they're going to say, Mike, apart from leave me alone? Yeah, that's it. Or just, yeah, not answer, but... It, but it tends to be our community seems to look after each other. So yeah, don't be afraid to, to do that. Alex, when I met you, you were flying uh, a small plane uh, and around New Zealand as part of uh, a global uh, round the world initiative. Tell us a bit about flying because flying is something that seems out of reach for, for most people, let alone someone that's paralysed from the chest down. What's, what was your journey to learning to fly like? What, and what, uh, mm -hmm. yeah, what, uh, what, what made you do, do so? So when we first met Mike, it was a um, handy flight. And mm. a handy flight, we're trying to fly around the world. So 
every year, Handy Flight is a, uh, is a group of European pilots that come together and each year they, they fly in. So they have a, a fly-in event where you go to Switzerland or, and you, you fly in or Geneva and you fly in and you meet other guys who fly and then the guy that runs it had this idea. He, he wanted to fly out and he wanted to fly right around the world. He wanted people with disabilities to fly the plane and uh, I, I jumped at the chance. I messaged him and said, yeah, I want to do it. It's like, what leg do you want to do? And it's like, right, I want to go to New Zealand. And my wife's like, why have you chosen the most faraway place? And I said, it'll just be beautiful. You know what I mean? Just imagine flying right around New Zealand. So that was my leg. And our job, our role was to fly the plane. And as we'd stop off in these certain places, we would try and inspire, try and talk, try and... Uh, elevate the community, try and, uh, and create an awareness of what we were doing. And we did. We, I think we made a really good statement in New Zealand and uh, we met yourself and it was just the best time ever. But we're going to jump back to how we got into flying. So uh, my brother, he was in the pilot, he was in the RAF, and he made me aware of something called flying scholarships for the disabled. So lucky enough, I went along for this flying scholarship and I got it and they, they gave it to me and they sent me out to South Africa. And this is where I learned to fly and become a pilot. So obviously I can't use my legs, can I? So I use a rudder hand control and you'd think it'd be the most techiest thing ever. It's not. It's a steel bar and it goes into the rudder pedal. So obviously I can't use, use my feet. So I've got the flight control, the big stick type thing. Uh, I've got a hand on the throttle and then I've got a hand on the rudder. So between the, 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 the throttle and the rudder, I've got to try and negotiate it uh, with one hand. So it is hard to be a disabled pilot. You, you know, you, you're working uphill. You, you've got to try and control two things. But essentially, once you're up there and you're doing it, it's just amazing. It's just uh, the, the freedom it gives you it's just unreal and um, you know that ability to to jump in your plane fly off somewhere jump out you, you know the, there's a bit of faff that goes on with, with the wheelchair and stuff like that but once you once you get that faff out the way then you can just have some really good times no fences there's no steps <laughs> it's just airspace right and uh of course, plenty of, plenty of danger with that too. Um, I, I remember you saying that you couldn't land if there was a crosswind that was greater than 15 knots because of well, the, trying to control all of these things. With It sounds like you need to grow another hand, you know. Well, the, the, the good news is that uh, I landed the other day and I think it was about 18, 19 knots crosswind. And I just didn't expect it. So uh, I took a friend up flying and... Um, we were coming in on the final approach. And it, you, you basically, if the wind's coming in, you, you got a crab into it. So we're coming in sideways and he's looking at me. He's like, you're not going to get this. I was like, no, no, we, we, we have to get this. It's like, if we don't get this, we're going to have to go somewhere else. So, it, and it, I hadn't done one for a while. It, it just came off so well. And <laughs> we landed and I turned and I looked at him and I gave him that face as if to say, Ooh. I was like, oh, I just couldn't believe it. It was, it was really testing. 
So, uh, but it was it was a good test of my skills, and so it, it is possible, it is doable. But yeah, I reckon it was gusty. Um, what what are the consequences if you if you'd sort of messed it up? What what could have gone wrong? What could have happened? There's there's always a backup plan, Mike. So the backup plan is uh, back on the throttle, go 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 and do a, a, a go around, try it again. If it doesn't work, there's always a diversion. So there'll be an airfield in my mind, hopefully uh, that I'll go off and and, and land at. But it's uh, yeah, yeah. It, it's so you've it's got to have plan it, B and C and D ready ready to go. Yeah, yeah, and you know, but it, that day it just felt so good. Like we landed, and it was uh, it was the day before lockdown. So if you imagine it, Mike, everyone with a plane in the UK wanted to fly that day because they knew they weren't going to fly for the next four weeks. Uh. <laughs> so we flying it, and uh, me, me mate, me, me mate, he's chuffed. I was like, we we still got to get home. I said, did you see how many planes were coming across us? And it, it was just an unreal day where just everyone was flying. I was like, oh, God, we've got to, we've still got to get home at some point. So it was just, you know, it, it was just a really good day and it was a good landing. And then the best part of me flying and the taking off and the landings, the bit in the middle sometimes goes a bit astray, but as long as you get the, the, the main bit right, you're fine. <laughs> it was always like sailing uh you know sailing offshore once you're out away from land you know there's not a there's not a great deal you have to worry about really um but as soon as you get closer to land that's when things that's when things get uh, can go can go bad real fast um yeah. so like you say take take off and landing is is the critical critical things um yeah. So, uh, Alex, look, what, what sort of things in the future um, are you looking forward to? What sort of things uh, do you have planned uh, for, for you and your family's life? Um, so, yeah, uh, this year uh, was, was, was going to be all about the holidays uh, before we went to school. But you know what? I think in the current climate, cancelling a holiday is nothing compared to catching COVID, going to hospital, mm. not being with your love, family and friends. So uh, I think this year is really, it's really put my mind in perspective about what's important in life. And uh, so, you know, you, you, you've got to take the simple pleasures, uh, you know, being in the garden, enjoying the family, having a nice coffee. Uh, you know, this year, this year is really like dumbed down what, what is important. Um, and it still is now. But uh, this year, in terms of me and fitness and stuff like that, I was meant to be cycling across America uh, with Blesma. So it's called it's called Race Across America. Mm. Uh, I was meant to be in a team or a crew of 20 um, ex-servicemen. Uh, so Blesma stands for British Limbless Ex-Servicemen's Association. And uh, as a team or and as a crew, we were going to cycle all the way from California uh, over to Maryland, uh, Annapolis, three thousand miles. Wow! Twenty-four. Yeah, yeah. One guy on the road at any one time. So there's eight of us as cyclists, mm. and we've got to cycle over three thousand miles. We've got to climb over one hundred seventy-five thousand feet through twelve states, through uh, the Rockies, through the Sierra, through the Appalachian Mountains, uh, and then yeah, you know. Wow. Come through, 
come through for tea and stickies at the end and champagne. But it, <laughs> uh, so just skip, of, skip to that then. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that, that's what that's what we're heading towards. And um, you know, we're, we're we're not raising money, uh, which is quite nice. To, you know, there's no pressure financially to try and raise money for the charity, but the charity are uh, they're awesome. Uh, so they're, they're, they're quite a small charity, but they're quite, you know, um, focused on on, uh, on the Blesman members, and it, it's quite an undertaking what the what they've taken on to to do for us, which is quite nice. And so, COVID's mm. willing, we'll be doing it 2021. So we're, we're we're training for that at the moment and trying to get the miles in. Um, but yeah, they, they, that that's a good focus for me uh, for next year. Fantastic, man! It sounds yeah. like an amazing trip. Actually, it's something, yeah. something, something uh, so incredible about getting a team together to tick off a goal like that. That's um, that's incredible. Well, stay tuned, and and hopefully you manage to get get over there next year, uh, for sure. Um, and you, you, you know what, Mike? If it wasn't, if it didn't have my spinal injury and it wasn't in a chair, I wouldn't have these opportunities. So yeah, it's uh, you know you you really have got to take them uh, when they come. Yeah, it's interesting. I've heard a lot of people say that they believe their lives are richer as a result. And it's hard to say whether or not that, that would have been the case. But it's it's nice to know that you uh, and, and others with a similar view see these opportunities as, as you know, they, they see pleasure in these opportunities and they, they see the... Um, they feel as though they've succeeded and, and achieved and, uh, you know, are enjoying life and actually also showing others that they can, uh, they can have a great life too, which is, um, so I take my hat off to you, mate, for, uh, for showing, for showing uh, lots of others uh, how, how to live a great life, how to live the greater than life and, uh, and be an adaptifier, as I like to call. Adaptifier. Uh, so yeah, well yeah. done. So good, mate. Thank you. Your point about the little things, uh, you know, from COVID and sort of reshaping what success looks like for you, um, I think that's incredibly important. And I, I know myself, I've I've looked at what the most important thing is in my life uh, since the COVID uh, thing. And, you know, like you say, just a nice, nice cup of coffee, some nice time with friends or family uh, is is as important as as the the bigger things. So um, yes, yeah, the little things that matter, as they say, too, right? Yeah, very important. And I, I, I hope as well people remember this time. You know, twenty twenty. I hope they, they think about it in a couple of years to come when they they, they start forgetting and you know the um, mm. dripping about you know complaining about stuff. It's like no, don't just. You know, I, I I just hate I just hate neg- negativity and stuff like that. I've got no time for it, and um, I just try and shut people down. I just try and move away from it straight away. Mm-hmm. Uh, so yeah, I just hope people in years to come just to still appreciate um, what they've got. We're in a kind of pivotal moment. I think this is a pivotal moment in history where we we can we can make some changes that are needed collectively as a as a planet. And I I hope that we're able to do so. Um, hey, um, for those that are out there listening that are you know severely impacted by COVID, uh, do you have any sort of advice for them right now? <clears throat> the 
I'm just trying to think. So we're in the second lockdown in the UK and it's starting to feel normal now, which which isn't great. Uh, but I think it's just to, to try and keep your plans simple. Uh, you know, if your thing is to go for a push, make sure you get that push in. It just um, get that fresh air. It's just having a simple plan and trying to stick with it. And not trying to look at social media too much. Um, it, it's draining. It's draining me. But uh, mm-hmm. <clears throat> it's hard. It's hard to, um, I think, just it's hard to keep focused uh, these days. So, yeah, just try and keep your plan simple. There's, you know, if you can't get outside and go for a push, one thing I'll say is is have a look at... Uh, have a look at Ben Clark. He's wheelchair fitness. Um, have a look at Maria um, Rabaino. She also does wheelchair fitness. So there's a there's a bunch of people out there that sort of do live live classes, free classes online for wheelchair users, particularly. Um, yeah, just hey, give it a go. Sign up. Find find other ways to do it. And and if you if you can't connect with your community uh, in the in person, find a community that you resonate with online and. Um, and, and, and connect. But like you say, you, you need to be careful not to overdo the social media and, and, um, yeah. <clears throat> cause it can, it can start, I guess, sort of ruling your life, can't it? Yeah. Yeah. There's, uh, you, you know, you, you can just look at so many things. Oh, look what they're doing. Look, I'm not doing that. And, um, I, I try and use it as, as an inspiration for what I want to go out and do, but, Sometimes mm. you just feel yourself using it too much. So um, I'd like to change that about my mindset. Have you seen The Social Network on Netflix? I have, yeah. Yeah. It's, uh, it's crazy, isn't it? It is crazy. If you haven't seen that and you're listening, I definitely recommend it. It's just a it's a kind of a fresh insight into um, the way this free flow of information um, can affect uh, some pretty major things in the world. So, yeah, go check it out. Yeah. Hey, uh, Alex, it's been awesome to chat with you. <clears throat> Thanks so much for joining uh, me on the show, mate. You're, uh, you're charging. I just love that you, uh, you can get after um, so much in your life. You can pack so much in, but also the ability to like appreciate the small things and um, be grounded. Uh, and also the, the way that you can share um, you know, the wisdom that you have with, with others uh, for, for the better of us all. So, yeah, thanks a lot. Um, really, really an honour to have you on the show. Yeah, Mike, it's a pleasure to meet you too. Obviously, uh, I think we met a year, year and a half ago. And, uh, you know, it's it's nice to connect with other guys with similar interests and similar passions. And I think that's what we need to do. We, we need to grow as a community. And we, we do need to pass on knowledge. Uh, you know, I think... Any little hints or tips uh, that people have found out, you know, or if this is helping someone to sleep at night, listening to a podcast, um, you know, it's great. It's it's good stuff. But yeah, I'm going to keep doing what I'm doing and we're going to have a game of tennis one day. I'm going to head over. I'm going to head over and uh, the winner pays for the flight home. <laughs> well, that is motivation for me to practice <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> like crazy. Uh, yeah. Awesome, mate. Hey, well, where can people um, connect with you um, online? Is there a, a certain place that you you uh, you hang out? 
Yeah, so uh, the, the, I'm on Facebook, uh, Alex Alex Kroll, or I'm on Twitter, um, and on Twitter I'll try and post if, uh, if I'm going into school or doing a bit of work. So that's my worky uh, type thing. I should really be on Instagram. I was trying to create uh, kind of a, a pilot uh, Instagram type feed, and it didn't really work in the end. So yeah, I'm a, I'm a bit lagging in terms of social media, but Facebook, Facebook or uh, Twitter, you, you'll find me. Or um, uh, there's a nice handy flight video that I think you'll put you'll put on your thing. The one you made that was quite nice. Yeah, nice. Yeah, I'll link to that video that I made of uh, of you guys back in the day. And if you ever do need yeah. to uh, connect with with Alex, you're having trouble there, just uh, just give me an email and uh, I'll link you up. Yeah. Awesome, mate. Well, um, enjoy the rest of your uh, evening and uh, thanks once again. I appreciate your time. Uh, love to you and your family. Cheers, Mike. Thanks a lot. Good luck. I hope you enjoyed the podcast and meeting today's Adaptifier. To learn more about Adaptify and the products we have in development, products that will increase freedom for wheelchair users, go to adaptdefy.com. That's a-D-A-P-T-D-E-F-Y dot com. We're also on all the major social media platforms at Adaptify. Follow us there for more behind-the-scenes looks and more up-to-date information on product releases. Hope you enjoyed this podcast. Look forward to catching you next time.